0: like embrace this mediocrity you're not elon musk you're just an average person right unless
1: you're someone like elon musk in which sure it'll be that yeah but
0: those people don't they don't struggling
1: yeah yeah that's true that's right all right what's up everybody this is other life i am justin murphy i just wanted to let you know that i write a free newsletter to thousands of people every week it's where i publish my best work i share events that you can come to and much more We have an insane private community around the newsletter and it's free. Go check it out, just go to otherlife.co, that's otherlife.co. When you subscribe, I'm going to send you a folder of PDFs that contain all of my personal highlights from a bunch of my favorite books that I've read over the years. So you'll get a million insights after just a few minutes of browsing these PDFs really. They're really special to me and I just figured I'd share them with you all. So that's otherlife.co, otherlife.co. All right, Paul. So, you're a you were a big-time consultant. You were a McKinsey guy and then you left it all behind to stake out on your own. Now you're an independent writer and author and I guess you do independent consulting as well. I think you do you have a little portfolio of things that you do and so I've been following your work for a while, uh, but I don't know a ton about you or I don't know a ton about your your system. Uh, but I do know you have a lot of really interesting and compelling heuristics and frameworks for you know navigating this 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 new world that many of us like myself are you know building new types of independent careers in. So I'm sure this is going to be uh, really easy and, and free flowing. I, I know that you have a lot to share, and it's very much on brand for our audience. So I'm excited to jump in, and I guess I should say first of all, thanks for coming out today. Awesome, thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, totally. So I guess my first question is like, what the fuck is a McKinsey? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what my mother said okay um yeah so i i was in college and sort of i went to university of connecticut which is like a big public school in the u.s and i was around driven people but places like McKinsey and other elite companies don't recruit at a place like uconn right so i sort of decided that's what i want because they I, mostly draw from the ivy leagues right ivy leagues other elite schools other higher ranked big schools and i I decided I want that like I need that prestige Mm. Um, really I think what I was doing at the time was choosing that to kind of channel this like early male ambition yeah trip on your shoulder maybe a little bit (laughs) yeah um, I think I had the the feeling that okay I'm capable of things I'll go after this and really that was kind of the target I set I wanted to break into consulting, but really it was kind of flexible. Like I would have broken into investment banking. I would have gone to big tech. I would have gone into, um, hedge funds, whatever. Like I I didn't even care what I was doing. You just wanted big
1: time success or like, what do you mean by that?
0: I wanted the story of like being impressive, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think that, especially when you're young, is a way to replace the insecurity you're feeling Mm. about what the hell am I doing in life. Okay, and so
1: you're at a place where you know
0: places like McKinsey don't generally draw from, so what do you do? Yeah, so I applied to over a hundred companies and got rejected from every one of them. So I ended up going to work at GE in finance, and after about six months, I just started applying again. I kept getting rejected to all these firms and mckinsey actually ended up hiring me as a research analyst in their manufacturing division it was kind of like my background was weirdly unique for that role Mm. but i got rejected again from all sorts of different firms but like the number one firm hired me and it sort of changed everything like it changed my imagination for what i thought was possible it also exposed me to a firm where like that level and quality of work is actually really good Mm. Um, and I ended up spending the next nine years in consulting. I loved the work, um, but the l- more I got better at the work, it was mostly like the culture, fitting in, trying to like please clients. That stuff was just so draining. And
1: maybe it's, I am guessing it's maybe kind of like academia and that ironically, the higher up you climb, it's like the more shit work you have to do in a way.
0: Yeah, right, you're getting paid a million dollars to answer the phone 24 seven. Right, right. <laughs> In academia, it's like you
1: you graduate up to something like becoming head of department, but that's actually like a it's like a bureaucratic role. It's like an office. It's like a, an elevated and increasingly demanding kind of office job, basically.
0: Yeah, and it, it took me a while to realize. Oh, I actually like the t- making sense of ideas, doing deep analysis, right. research, writing, all these things. I never imagined oh I could do those things because I was in the frame of a worker path. Mm you work in a full-time job. Sure. So you can either switch job A to job B, and I ended up working at three or four different consulting firms. But I had no imagination of anything else to do. So I kind of languished in those latter f- latter few years okay. of just trying to, like, bounce around. Oh, the next job will be the one where I'd be happy. And now it's so clear. I just wanted a life built around, like, ideas, going deep on things, writing, connecting with people, teaching, all these things.
1: And so what made it click for you when you realized, like, you actually could engineer that how did you first really have the epiphany where you're like it's possible for me to have this life where I'm just reading writing thinking about ideas and pretty much literally doing whatever I want like what do you remember the day or the how that came to you like how you actually realized that that's possible I didn't
0: oh you didn't okay (laughs) I had had no idea before I quit my job oh really so you quit with like no game plan or what (laughs) sort of I had a mini game plan but really all I was trying to do was escape I was burnt out and I had sort of determined, this is not going to enable me to be the kind of person I want to be. I need to blow it up. (laughs) Okay. So I quit with the intention of saying, I'll just be a freelance consultant. I'll work a little less, mostly doing the same work though. I had no imagine of any other kind of life because I didn't have friends or family or anyone around me that was living any other sort of life. I see. All my friends now, I didn't have any friends like this.
1: I see. Um, okay, because so now a lot of what you write about it on Twitter and and with your books and, and your longer form writing, you very much push a kind of attitude and philosophy of um, maximizing free time. Um, you know, not uh, you know, overloading yourself with with different obligations and m- maintaining you know a very very chill work life balance. And and a lot of what I get from you in your writing is all about how it's like these are psychological tortures that we impose on ourselves. Like if if you're working too much or you feel too busy or you feel like you have too much going on, it's really self-inflicted and that it's really a kind of uh, mostly a psychological battle. So maybe you could tell us how you kind of went from just doing this freelance consulting to like having a much more kind of, um, you know, open, relaxed, lifestyle where you also write books and you also write a lot on Twitter and you, you, you've really come to optimize like your own freedom
0: and, and leisure. Definitely. Yeah. So the larger shift was shifting from wanting to escape work towards wanting to design for liking work. Okay. So it's really around designing. Okay. I actually want to do these things. I want to commit to them and I want to continue to play these games over the long term. I learned that through just slow, stupid experimentation. Mm-hmm. At first, I had more space because I was freelancing. I sort of made it work in the first year, but I had enough of a window into that space where I was like, this is interesting. What's there? I, I didn't know what I would find, but I had this deep sense that I should just stop freelancing.
1: Really? And at that time, where were your freelance clients coming from? Was it like relationships you had in the old consulting world that you just kind of pulled off as a freelancer or were you getting new people from the internet or what?
0: Yeah, they, it was mostly my networks at the time. Yeah. I was reaching out to I one of my biggest first projects was an old professor. She needed just somebody to do a wide range of stuff. Funny enough, I was like launching a um, website for her and doing all this tech stuff, which now like, oh, I actually like that stuff. Okay. Um but I was doing some other more traditional consulting. I had like three or four clients in the first six or seven months. Okay, nice. And I think there's often this first period when you leave your job of, holy crap, what have I done? And I think often when you're leaving, the best thing to do is just ride that wave, like almost ride the insecurity into like just working hard and hustling and going after things and trying to make money. Yeah. Channeling the anxiety, in other words. And then that runs out. Yeah. You can't just ride that forever. Um, and then you need to kind of decide, okay, am I staying on this journey? Mm. And if I'm staying on this journey, what matters? And the next couple of years for me, were really figuring out what is that. Through experiments, I tried to make money in different kinds of work. I took non-work sabbaticals. Um, I did a lot more reflection. I moved abroad to Asia and... Uh, I started creating a lot of the stuff that now has showed up four or five years later where I've made money. Okay, fascinating. And I think this is where... But it it, wasn't obvious then.
1: Gotcha. Okay, okay. So I think this is where it's going to get really interesting for my audience because we have a lot of people in the audience who are independent writers or independent consultants or uh, different types of people in in this world who are you know figuring out their path and figuring out how to... uh, organize a system that's you know both personally very rewarding where they focus on the work they're most interested in but that's also financially viable so this is where i think you've done a really good job so i'd love to kind of set the scene here and why don't you bring us up to date on like what how would you summarize your current operation like what are the moving parts uh and, and kind of with an emphasis on like where audience is coming from and where the the economic returns and the, the income is coming from
0: yeah so That first year I did freelance consulting. It was all pay for time Mm -hmm. and work. Um, I paused then and basically decided I want to move away from freelancing. I didn't tell people this. I sort of came up with a cover story and lied to people and said, I'm still freelance (laughs) consulting Um, because I didn't know what I was doing. Sure. Um, I started writing. I started doing my podcast uh, and I just decided I would only work remotely. I don't know why I decided this in 2018, but it's really paid off after Mm. the pandemic and stuff. So, I, I ended up taking one project in Boston, but then leave to Asia in 2018. And when I was in Asia, I didn't have any work to do. And I also like was failing to land freelance consulting projects remotely. So I just sort of wandered (laughs) and I would read in the park and I found myself writing more and more about what is this experience of non-work? Why does this feel so bad, but Mm. also so interesting? So I started writing about that. I also started experimenting with online courses. Um, So I ran like a small like experimental cohort the summer before I left to Asia. And then while I was there, I built this consulting skills course. And I really had no idea what I was doing. I just loved creating that stuff and kind of like helping people with these things. I said, "Uh, maybe it will turn into something. And slowly over the next year, like that consulting skills bet was one that paid off and people started enrolling in it directly from like my website I had Mm -hmm. built. Mm -hmm. Um, So that gave me enough signal to like lean into that and basically stop consulting. Okay. So I didn't really do any consulting until like I've done a little this year for three years and I lowered my cost of living aggressively. I think I was living on less than a thousand dollars a month at one point in Asia, and it's still pretty good life. You can live pretty good life outside of the U.S. under a thousand. In the U.S., would be tough. And what was days. your
1: salary like, roughly, as a consultant?
0: Before I left, I was making one hundred fifty grand with yeah. a thirty thousand dollar bonus. Okay, in New York City. So, right. I mean a lot of that is eaten up by like rent and taxes but sure but it's, it's decent it's great yeah, yeah it's yeah. a
1: decently sized number and so that's hard to walk away from psychologically right especially in the early days when you're building these courses in the early days you're probably not coming close to that or were you with your first consulting can i ask how much it was making at the course at that early time
0: oh yeah i haven't even come close to replacing that income right but you're just like paying last,
1: your, you're paying your bills like $1000 a month and that's about year, it last year yeah
0: this last this so it's going to be about 5 years since i left in may this last year um is the highest most i've done it will be probably a little under a hundred thousand nice this past like in like profit right Nice. like i don't actually know what i make as a self-employed
1: person but ballpark yeah
0: (laughs) but yeah um so yeah i'm getting to like a little over 50 percent but in the first few years it was like 45 then 35 then 25
1: really (laughs) it went down
0: well i stopped doing freelance oh right just because you didn't i was just like i'm gonna write because it's fun i'm called to it and i'm gonna work on this course and do all these experiments and now how did you manage that psychologically though because a lot of people
1: will be listening to this and they'll get tripped up and because what i think a lot of people experience is when they're financially nervous it's hard to write it's hard to you talk about yourself going to the park and just writing a lot of people can't do that because they're they're stressed about where the next money is going to come from do you like have tricks for that or is that just a personality thing
0: I think one, I'm more comfortable with uncertainty than most people. Two, it felt terrible. It did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I felt like a like a loser. But why weren't you?
1: But a lot of people, what they would be doing is they would just be focusing on getting money. But you weren't doing that. So how were you able to, in that terrible feeling,
0: how were you able to nonetheless go to the park and write? So, the final consulting project I took, I sort of underpriced it. And I did that. I reacted to my uncertainty with freaking out and accepting a project. Uh And I realized, I don't want to do this. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it was like, so basically learning through mistakes. And I just decided, like, screw this. I'm just going to commit to the other stuff and take it more seriously. Just force of will, basically. Yeah. So, there's this... At some point, you need to bet on yourself. And I think it's this is very hard for driven people because Mm -hmm. they often know how to make money. Mm -hmm. But if they step back and ask themselves, what's really giving you energy and what are you called towards? They also know that answer. right? But they won't commit to it because it
1: feels hard. And because the link between that and the financial returns is often unclear or ambiguous.
0: It's like... Or non-existent. Or non-existent, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, The thing though i think being in asia helped really how so there's a certain distance from your default scripts right like in america you know how you're supposed to feel about everything in and even in cities like you get the sense that people are working all the time maybe less so in austin (laughs) i don't know what people are doing in austin half the time but you get the sense i should be working Mm-hmm. Like that first year of freelancing, I was in Boston and I'd like wander around the middle of the day on a Tuesday and it felt mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. It's like you should be working. I'd text friends, wanna meet up for lunch? No, sorry, I got a grind at the office right. all day. Gonna right. stay late. Um, in Asia, like I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. Okay. And there was that geographic distance of being sort of disconnected from my culture and this idea of travel that kinda gave myself permission to explore. Mm. And it was that tension of I feel bad about money, I sort of had the sense that going facing that directly was the way to resolve it. Okay. Because I've never seen anyone resolve their money insecurity by making more money. Hmm. That's true. Right. I talk to people with millions of dollars, and I- they're on the verge of tears talking about how scared they are about making money. Yeah, it's all relative, right? Everyone just compares themselves to the person slightly above them, and you can do that forever. Yeah, it's true. And in those first few months in Taipei, I had this, like, I just wanted to wake up and write. I loved it. And the feeling from that for me was worth everything.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you just bet on that. You're just like, this feels so much better than anything else I could be doing. If I just do it, there's
0: got to be a way. Some things are going to open up. And it took me a while to realize this. So my shift was trying to escape work to then finding work worth doing. Mm. And then once I find that, basically building my life around it. I see. Okay. So what I'm often talking about is not like working as little as possible or enjoying life. It's like actually finding things worth doing and then being willing to figure out what are the costs of that and then decide am I willing to pay that or not. Right. So like this kind of approach is (laughs) not um, unaligned with ambition. Like I can scale up ambition infinitely now. Right. But I think I'm only getting to that point now where I feel comfortable doing it because I kind of have my grounding of like, okay, I know the costs I'm willing to pay for things. I know how to stay energized. I know how to stay alive financially on this path.
1: Right. So I think what you're now starting to describe is what you call the pathless path. Yeah. So yeah, this is your new book that came out in January. It's gorgeous, really well done, independently published book. Um, Why don't you Explain in a nutshell. What is the pathless path? You were basically just working up to it But speak about it a little bit more and explain the concept if you would
0: Yeah, so the book basically came out of my writing and I had been writing about our relationship with work and like why is this so off? why are we Conforming ourselves to these work worker identities in a narrow career in which we can't actually do the work we're called to do Um, So it was about this broadening of what is the definition of work? What's the broadest possible conception of that? Um, It's also about this shift from wanting to escape work to wanting to find the work worth doing and orienting yourself around coming alive. And then it's really like kind of a counter to a lot of the books I don't enjoy. Okay, which are? Which are, here is the eight-step framework for how to do this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I really just... Wanted to share here's here's how I felt facing yeah. my money insecurity. right? Here's how terrible it felt. Here's my own logic and reasoning of how I went and figured this out. Right. And does, you can see you can experience how you feel reading that and then decide what to do with it. And so does the pathless path
1: literally have no goal or <laughs> right? Is there is there literally no goal or talk to that? Talk to that aspect of it, um, you know, maintaining this like true freedom. Uh, to wander and you know or is there some kind of goal are there like short-term or intermediate goals because i think a lot of people would, would think that you know they hear a concept of a pathless path and it's like you got to have some kind of orientation you got to have somewhere you're trying to go how do you uh, balance that against you know the drive for autonomy and freedom
0: i'd say i th- i think i if i could explain this shorter i wouldn't have had to written a, wrote a, <laughs> okay, a fair, book. yeah <laughs> fair enough Uh, so I think the philosophy is really that most of us have not interrogated the scripts we're running in our head, especially about work. There's so much tied up in work. Are you a good person? Are you contributing? Are you like doing your work? Are you bringing, creating value? All these things that people don't want to interrogate because they're really painful. If you deeply think about them, why are I'm, why am I working? I want to be loved. I want to be part of things. Um, So that's sort of like step one is like permission to interrogate these scripts and just become aware of them. Mm -hmm. And then I think the second part is really shifting away from, okay, these are the scripts, here's how I have to fit in towards the possibilities for paths and the kind of work you can do now have dramatically increased. Excellent. So let's drill down into that because there's there's a lot here to talk about. Oh, I'm like, sorry if I cut you off.
1: <laughs> no, but like this isn't. Yeah, this right. wasn't possible ten years ago. Right. right. But also, even like, what is this? Like, I, I, it's like obviously, it's obviously it's a podcast. Yeah, sure. Uh, I posted to YouTube and I posted to the podcast feed. But how exactly it fits into something larger? Like, it's it's still. I've been doing it for almost four years now. It's still not quite super clear, like where it's going exactly or. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I, I'm just saying that I kind of,
0: uh, can, I can relate to what you're saying, I think. Well, if you were working for a company, you could do this even if you were four out of 10 excited because it would be your job. Right. On your own though, if you were four out of 10 excited, this would never happen. That's right. That's true. So you have to be super excited by it. So it's a sort of way of setting up your life around things in which you're not really competing with anyone against except yourself.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's interesting. So, okay. So maybe it would be good to let's, let's break down for the audience, like what you do exactly. Like what is your portfolio of like how you allocate your time? Um, just concretely, I'm curious. So you publish this book in January. Uh, I know you have a website, you're active on Twitter, you have a podcast. Give us a bird's eye view of of like your machinery and and you know you said this past year was your best year yet. You're, you did about a hundred grand. Like how much of that is coming from the book? How much of that is coming from I guess like freelance consulting gigs? Break that down for us if you would. It,
0: really interesting to hear. So I sort of have two buckets. One is like the Pathless Path. Uh, Boundless is my newsletter. Um, Reimagine Work is my podcast. Like that's the like. That's where my attention and excitement goes. Okay. And I do other stuff to fund that. Okay. So that's my like strategy U business where I'm teaching consulting skills, I'm doing workshops with companies. I see. And I'm really trying to experiment there around online learning, creating things online, um, trying different kinds of work, um, which gives me stuff to write about on right. the other side. Right. Um, and that's the stuff that gives me energy. To, and like, does, your,
1: does your creative work feed into your your the, the clients you get or the
0: economic opportunities you get or n- not really? It's sort of separate. Okay. So I have a completely separate website mailing list. Like I don't even talk about that on my newsletter or okay, Twitter interesting. that so much. So your
1: creative work really is separated and you really don't try to drive revenue with it?
0: I haven't, no. You haven't? The book has been 90% of the revenue I've probably ever earned from that side of things okay nice and it's i like think t- you've, pu- you've
1: published some numbers right how much has the book earned i'm curious
0: yeah the book is i've sold about 2600 copies i think i make about six and a half dollars per book because i self-published i think i've made revenue wise 16 or 17 grand
1: yeah respectable not like life-changing money yet but yeah respectable
0: for sure and i think this is the kind of work I know I want to do for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. So it's really just stay alive. The
1: the publishing, the writing and the authoring, that is what you want to do primarily for the future.
0: I want to help more people do the work that matters to them. Yeah. Okay. So like, I mean, basically what you're doing with your other life stuff, sure. Um, giving people the off ramps, helping people navigate these things, helping people see the possibilities. Right and then like basically being like a pseudo friend. Like you can experience (laughs) friendship through like reading my book or having conversations.
1: Right, gotcha, I was just curious if you were saying that you see the writing and the books in particular as the thing that you would love to uh, over time put more and more of your effort into it.
0: I'm not going to run away from it, Yeah. but I'm also not naive either. I think the whole writing, being an author, making money from that is very hard. Um, yeah, and I sure. don't yeah. I don't want to get trapped in like, oh, I need to write another book. Like, I really want to let that stuff flow naturally. Gotcha. And so my curiosity is yeah. really driving the ship there.
1: Right on. So, it, it, I mean, it seems like your strategy then in a lot of ways it, or if there's an upshot here, it's kind of like when you have a foot in the institutional world, when you jump ship, just try to take a lot of the networks with you. Basically, that sounds like that's a major
0: part of your um, the economics of your of your strategy. Is that fair to say? I think I got sort of lucky. Like I have a weird combination of skills where I can, I love creating stuff. So I have like five courses I've created. I'm yeah. really only making money from like one of them, but like I have a course creation problem. <laughs> um, you just like doing it. Yeah. Course creation habit of marketing and sales problem. Like okay. mar- yeah. selling it. I'm like, eh, whatever. Yeah. The thing
1: with but, courses is like they only really drive revenue if you're focusing on that course and, and getting people to it and making it better and all of that because um, I actually have a, a little catalog also of course yeah. I've done with different collaborators in the past and um, they don't really make money unless you're like focusing on one yeah. at a
0: time. So I started making money from the strategy consulting course okay. and I was making that sort of passive. Uh, I made like fifteen grand the first year and then like thirty five grand and then last year I was sort of making between four and five grand. So at the beginning of at the end of 2020, I decided somebody, challenged me and said, what if you took this to the next level and you scaled your course and you did these cohort-based courses and these launches and built a business around it? Mm-hmm. I was like, I see that path, but what would I do if I had more money? Oh, I'd write. So I decided to basically just spend the entire year writing the book. And that's, that's what I did. Okay. And then once I finished the book, I started leaning back in to the consulting business I still don't really know what to do with that it and this kind of answers your earlier question is like when did you know you want to do this Mm -hmm. I'm still figuring this out like it's a constant balancing act where does the money come from where do I want to focus my attention where do I want to make bets
1: and so I'm surprised you don't get consulting clients
0: through the internet well I do oh you do now you do now that's what happened. So my course turned into a lead magnet. I see, People were just see. starting to email me. And will you do this for our company? Will you host a workshop for us? So what I would do is every time somebody asked me that, I said, okay, yes, I do this for this amount. And it was always an amount in which it would be a way for me to basically get paid to build something. Mm-hmm. And I'd be excited. that It would be like, okay, this could fund some time off to do creative work in the future. So right. I kept... Ramping that up. Now I sort of have this <laughs> business that's running these. I have these cohort based courses, a version of it I run with companies. And I have like a high sticker price for that, such that if I get it, it's like, hell yes. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's just there. Like I'm not pushing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am getting to the point where people have challenged me okay, should you turn that into a business? Right. And my approach is always. To sort of take the third way, it's like not to decide yes or no, but to decide not to make a decision yet. Okay,
1: fascinating. Yeah, so you're kind of just like, you'll let it sit there. If someone wants to pay this large amount of money, then okay, you'll do it. It's enough to make you excited to do it. But also, if no one wants to pay you for that thing for this month or two months or three months, you'll just work on your books and enjoy your life. Yeah. It's an interesting way to think about it. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not a maximized revenue game. It's really a maximized staying in the game game
1: <laughs> yeah you're kind of satisfying on on the re- on the revenue front
0: yeah and I mean me and my wife want to have kids yeah and if we want to stay in the US I need to raise my ambitions a little and that's why I've yeah. leaned a little more in that direction <laughs> right Um, but also like I've just reflecting recently it's like I don't want to lean too far like as soon as I leaned more into that I was like I want to do my podcast again So I sort of just doubled down on my podcast again, which I'm going to be relaunching with video and stuff, too. Um, And I don't know where that will lead, but it just like it's that deep sense like I have to keep that alive. It's so important. Right. Well, I think you do
1: really have an interesting mental model for managing all this because, you know, I've never really heard people talk about it in this way and actually live accordingly. Um, a lot of people just get pulled into either optimizing for money and just working hard, trying to succeed and, and make that number go up. Or they're a little too lackadaisical. And like, you know, they're yeah. just like, you know, making, making uh, music and like garage band. That's like going absolutely nowhere. And it's like uh, before they didn't know it, they're like in debt and like, they have absolutely no op- prospects or so. So you have a, a very interesting way of being able to prioritize your free time and your writing and your thinking and your creative work. Um, but also having like a viable economic engine. I'm kind of surprised actually to learn that they're not more integrated. Like I was kind of assuming that your book and the things you do for your creative work were, was actually like a, a more of a driver of clients and that, that it was like more tightly integrated. But you actually seem like you like a system where you have your economic engine, which is, you know, pulls mostly from a certain, you know, demographic, a certain uh, consulting business, uh, focus kind of, uh, part of the world. And then you see that as mostly funding your, your independent creative and intellectual work. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how, so I've gotten opportunities. People try to hire me right through your writing coach them on this pathless path stuff. I see. I don't really like it No, I don't like coaching. Uh, What I do instead is just talk to people. So every Wednesday, I've had an open calendar for five years where people can just book a curiosity conversation with me. And the reason I kept doing those is because they would give me ideas. And also, the underlying theme of this book is nobody's talking about this stuff. Wow. So they would tell me, Mm. and I'd be shocked. I'm like, you haven't told your spouse? You haven't told (laughs) anyone in your life these things? No, just you, random stranger on the internet. Wow.
1: So is that really worth doing like these free calls with anyone who wants them? I've seen other people do this and I look at that and I'm like the time that you're giving away is, it feels crazy to me, but is it really worth it? Maybe it is.
0: I think it's a kind of anti-strategy to like lean against the obvious thing to do. The obvious thing to do is to look at your time as money and optimize it. Right. Right. So from that standpoint, it feels stupid. It sort of gives me energy It also feels like the right thing to do. You feel like you're doing a good thing? I've talked to 383 people. Holy smokes. How long are the calls? Usually half an hour. Sometimes we hit it off, keep going. Wow. I've actually been overwhelmed since the book and I'm actually turning it into like a once a week live stream. Like I had eight calls last Wednesday and it was like, this fried me. Like I would had... recover the entire day on thursday
1: but after after doing all those for so long do you feel not to make everything like not to reduce everything to like financial returns or whatever but like do you feel that it has a positive roi for you and everything you've done or is it no and it's just like pure altruism and it makes you feel good about yourself
0: can i prove it no but you feel that it does but i think what's like my book's done surprisingly well i i didn't have big expectations But I sort of just had this bet. Like, I've sort of just been friendly with people for years and helping anyone who asks me right. without asking for anything in return. There's probably something there in, like, the spirit sure. of generosity. right, right. I think that's why people have resonated. Um, because they see, oh, he's sort of practicing what he preaches. This is legit. I'm going to check this out. This reinforces it. Now I want to, like, share this with everyone. Right. So I imagine the book, and I don't know, like... I don't know what the future is like sure. for this stuff, but it's seen like this is the most interesting thread in my life right now. I can't prove that it's going to financially support me in the future, but I think it's going to take me interesting places. Yeah. And in some ways it's brought me to Austin. Okay. Because there's people like us- There's a lot of people like us doing this stuff. Yeah, totally. And that's been super energizing. Like there's just a certain permission you have when you're here to do these lives
1: right? I love how I love how you just think in terms of like what is energizing, and it's like it's almost like to you that is your currency. That's like yeah. how you get paid. Like you're 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 happy you're happy enough to be paid in that almost. You know, so if writing a book like rewards you with a lot of energy, you feel like you're being paid by that, and that's I, I that's the vibe I get from you, and and I I really appreciate that because I feel like I don't do that enough. I feel like I know there are things in my life that give me a ton of energy, but I don't. I'm not always good at like justifying them to myself and getting them on my calendar um because you know we have a baby now and i'm like a little bit more money conscious and so it's like it's a struggle you know mentally psychologically
0: yeah there's this quote in the book from your money or or your life have you heard of this book uh no so she talks about trading your time for life force (laughs) yeah and that's fine but like you can also trade your like you don't want to trade all your life force for just money. Right. You want to get back other stuff too. Right. So it's sort of a shift from like seeing life is just a return of money, which you, like you don't want to be naive. Like the struggling artist narrative is right. a trap. Right. Right. Um, but you want to get paid in other ways such that it will like energize you to keep going. Right. I imagine you're getting some of that from this. No, for sure. For sure. I'm, I'm
1: yeah, definitely. Of course. Of course. But I also know I, I think that I could do more. I could, I could, I could go even harder on. Fo- like for me, it's writing. it comes down it comes to like I have this inner sense that I could probably just stop doing half of the things that I spend my time doing, like bureaucracy and admin and responding to emails and different types of just like little things I do for people and, and keeping all of my systems afloat. I could probably just like ignore half of them and just write like a madman. And I have a deep inner sense. That it would have a positive financial ROI and also have a positive like energy ROI and and be like a multiplier a positive multiplier for everything, um, and I I do write a lot I'm consistent with that so it's fine but I have a sense that I could I could double it and reduce by significant margin all the other stuff and it would probably be a winning strategy and it would be make me so much more happier and I yet I don't really I haven't really done it I I, I could but I don't. Um, and so that's what I'm kind of talking about. So, yeah, I, I don't want to rant about my own, like, personal problems or anything. But, like, like, but uh, it just, it, it rhymes with what you're talking about when you talk about, like, uh, you know, in Asia, n- not knowing what to do with money. And you're just like, I'm just going to go to the park and I'm going to write. It'll it, It's going to work somehow.
0: <laughs> well, I was lucky then because I literally couldn't get work. And I didn't, I hadn't created stuff. So I think there is a challenge once you're a few few years into this journey of you have this admin creep yes that sort of comes in and it's just there and you're self-employed and you're taking responsibility for your life so i should do these things right right? so i it's very hard to unwind those i'm actually dealing with that now
1: right so we should talk about this because i think another aspect of it is when you when people are paying you for things like you really are grateful and you really want to do you (laughs) want to do good by them and you want to you know give them like everything you can and, and really be responsible and accountable and and deliver, you know, even above and beyond. And that manifests to me in, in like little things that probably have no significance to the person, but like, you know, responding to that email really quickly or like, or, or sending a follow-up email just to make sure that they have everything they need, that kind of stuff. Like I feel very, um, like I have to do that kind of stuff really, really well. Whereas like, maybe I don't, maybe they don't even actually care. Maybe they don't even notice. Um, Um, so maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. How, you know, how do you see this admin creep? How are you dealing with it? Um, what, what kind of frameworks do you have for that?
0: My natural impulse is to work less. So I'm always trying to optimize stuff. (laughs) Um, but I sort last summer I was just realizing while I was writing my book, I want to be focused solely on this. Like how am I not able to like complete the other random stuff I'm working on? So what I implemented was an every seventh week off rhythm. Okay. So I work for six weeks, like a six week work block, and then I take a week off and I don't do anything, nothing on the calendar, no schedule. I just wander or do whatever I want. I wake up and see where I take every seven weeks.
1: You do nothing
0: or whatever you want. You
1: end up doing things. (laughs) Yeah. But whatever you want,
0: it's sort of like practicing leisure mode. Yeah. Okay. Um, But it has the intended it has the unintended benefit for me of forcing completion and more like getting more things I actually want to do in those six weeks. Right. So I sort of start out, like, right now I'm working on my audiobook. The goal for this six-week block I'm in now is, like, finish the audiobook, relaunch the podcast, hire an editor. And then, like, the stretch goal is, like, try and find a a sponsor for the podcast and the newsletter as a way to, like, fund more admin off. That's it. That's all I have for these six weeks. Right. So you do these, like, short seasons, basically. Yeah. Because... I don't think the right lens is the work day. I don't think most self-employed people think in terms of work days, right? They Mm -hmm. probably think more in like work weeks or work months. Mm -hmm. But I ask people, what is your ideal work year? Right? So there's probably a seasonality, right? You might have a stretch where you go really hard on something or really deep on something for one to three months. Mm -hmm. But then there's probably a month where you don't do much. Right. And that can be energizing for the writing. Right. The best way to write is to not write in a way.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Just to cultivate like boredom, basically. Um, I completely agree with that. Yeah. I think I might want to try that. Actually, the seven every seventh week take off. That's very interesting to me.
0: It's Sean McCabe's idea. He implemented it for okay. himself for several years and then he implemented it for his company. Okay. which is pretty interesting. Huh. And a bunch of other self-employed people have like really liked the idea because it's the admin creep that you sh- if you're doing admin nonsense, fifty two right. weeks a year, there's just like a spiritual tax of that. Totally.
1: Are there other people that you have learned a lot from that in particular that you kind of see as role models or, um, you know, figures whose who, their life is kind of a playbook for you or anything like that?
0: Yeah, Venkatesh Rao's earlier. Oh, that's right. Okay, so writing is right, right. Awesome. I, I think knew that.
1: I knew that you're kind of in his, his sphere. Yeah,
0: he, he's kind of leaned away from it in the past few years. I think. What um, is, What has he leaned away from exactly? Well, his early writing is like writing about being a like digital nomad and redesigning your work life and finding the work that right. that drives you and like his art of gig stuff was great and I've gotten a lot of really good ideas from him. He was the one that said to me like, "Oh, I think you're designing." It sounds like you're designing for liking work okay I was like oh shit that's what I am doing right so I sort of adopted that and that's kind of what I talk about in the book too is like the real work of your life is finding the work you want to keep doing he is a really
1: interesting case study isn't he, he he's been like very successful in this in this like world um,
0: 10 10 years self-employed um, and is not aiming I think it's easier to just maximize for income and opportunities mm because those opportunities if you just stay self-employed long enough emerge. So he's so, designing for like and you feel like actually, he's an example of that. He's no, he's an example of designing for like the life he actually wants.
1: I see. I see.
0: So what do you mean
1: Okay, okay. So cuz he has a very large audience I think. Like what he's been able to do in terms of influencing I think he's influenced a lot of people like you. I think our, our friend Pamela Hobart also is kind of in the I see I see her and you kind of in a larger sphere that has Bengatesh Rao kind of at the center of it um so I feel like and I bet you Ribbon Farm does like
0: real numbers doesn't it I bet you his books does his books do real numbers do you know by any chance I don't think he does like I think he leaves tons of money on the table he leaves even way still, more money on the table than me it's like yeah. hard to give him money interesting okay <laughs> Right. But in terms of at least just readers
1: and people who have read it, and I think been it's influenced sustainable. It, Yo, yeah, I think the impact non-monetarily is it's pretty massive. Yeah, yeah. Someone needs to do like a, a whole case study on him <laughs> and how he's done what he's done. Cause I, 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 I'm not like, um, as close to him in terms of reading him and, and talking with him or anything as you are. I, I don't know him at all, but I, he's definitely been on my radar for a while and what he's done with ribbon farm and with his books and with his larger brand is really impressive. Um, So that's interesting. So you've learned a lot from him. Are there other, you know, key lessons you've kind of taken from how he's done things? Or what else have you learned from him? I think he
0: has this idea around mediocrity. Okay. Which he frames it in a number of different ways. But I forget if it was him or somebody else, but talks about like the trot of a horse and like there's a sprint. But then there's this like intermediate pace called like ambling. I'm probably screwing this up. That's all right. Okay. Um, But I can send you a link to the post. But it's sort of this pace that's sustainable over long terms of time. Mm. And it's about like finding that, like you want to find the things where like you're in a slipstream of like, this is actually what you're good at and you can do it for long periods of time. Right. Instead of like pushing. So if you, if you decided, okay, I want to become a top 100 podcast, there's a playbook to do that. Right. And you could push really hard. You could invest right. money. You could hire people. You could aggressively promote. Right, there'd probably be a cost there, though, right? Sure. And you might burn out. Totally. You might literally lose all energy to ever do the podcast. It's again. like just your back. Your your <laughs> mate,
1: your mate's back in the city grinding from McKin. It's grinding, right? It's 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 a specific kind of state, a yeah. mental
0: and physiological state that's like you can't do for very long. It's planning. It's like, here's the plan. Right. And we're going to march to this. Here are the metrics. And some people thrive in that state. That's true. Yeah. Most people, I think, don't. And he's sort of writing around that. Like, embrace this mediocrity. You're not Elon Musk. (laughs) You're just an average person. Right. Unless you're someone like Elon Musk, in which, sure, there'll be that. Yeah. But those people don't. They aren't struggling. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's right. Yeah. I wish people could spend more time around hyper-ambitious entrepreneurs. Why? Because when you're around them, you realize, oh, they're just wired like that. Right, right. They see an opportunity and they can't do anything it's but exploit automatic. that opportunity. Yeah.
1: Do you ever feel, though, that like you you kind of wish you could turn it on a little bit harder and push a little harder? Do you ever feel like... Yeah. Yeah, you feel
0: like that? Well, I, intellectually, I know that I could make more money or I see opportunities like right. oh this is obvious but I know there's also a cost there. Right. And part of why I left my job is I didn't want to create another job for myself. There was a lot of pain in like leaving that job. My last experience was pretty painful. I just didn't I don't want that again and I'm right. so confident I don't want that. I had a taste of making more money it's like it's not worth it. I want to build a life. Yeah. Um, and I've sort of written about it as a way to like burn the bridges and like hold myself accountable.
1: Right. I feel, I feel like so much of what you're saying resonates with me and I I wish I was a little, a little bit more like you. The thing, one of the things I struggle with is like seeing people who I know are, are dumber than me, like more successful than me in terms of like money and stuff like that. Like this is something I, I have like a. I, I always feel a little guilty like I should be trying harder or I should be working harder or I should be pushing to use your term a little bit harder because I I just feel like um I feel bad. I feel guilty about not doing better when I know that I probably could eke it out.
0: Yeah. I mean two things. I think one is just retire the shoulds. Just <laughs> yeah. figure out what you actually want to do and you're drawn to. And then Two is you have to trade everything with them if you want their path.
1: Mm, (laughs) Like you have to
0: take their mm. psychology and all their trauma and all their issues and Right.
1: Yeah, you can't look at someone else and pick and choose one part of what they're doing, like it, so you want that, so you want to emulate that, but then also like not take on all the other things that are correlated with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you dig deeper on this stuff and somebody's pushing really hard because like their parents just told them they were shit their entire childhood. <laughs> yeah, like my my parents are very supportive and loving, so like part of me thinks, right, it's like oh I'm okay already. Right, right.
1: Yeah, it is interesting with Austin. I feel like one of the kind of Im- images of Austin, which goes back to like you know the slackers movie and, and stuff like that, is, and it, who knows if there's any connection to reality now, but part of what Austin kind of represents that's kind of cool, and which I, I feel like you do still kind of see is that it's kind of okay to to inhabit this kind of ambling yeah. you know medi- I feel like mediocrity is like a harsh word you know it's like I I don't I don't like to there's a part of me that doesn't want to use that word and embrace it but I do know what you're saying when you when you when you talk about that as a good thing basically like um so I feel like this is the interesting puzzle this is like the interesting thing to try to figure out is is how to how to be comfortable with your kind of relaxed easygoing free-spirited, you know, autonomy, maximizing, creativity, maximizing self, but not capitulate to low quality, you know, to still always be trying to do the best work possible while also having this relaxed attitude where you tolerate your own kind of short-term imperfections. You know, because people will hear the word mediocrity and they'll think like, oh, I don't want to capitulate to mediocrity. I don't want I don't want to just be comfortable with being half-assed and kind of crappy. Do you know what I mean? So to me this is like the million dollar question is like to maintain this ambling free-spiritedness and a certain comfort with with your current imperfections, but also be like passionately laser focused on 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 being the best you can be and and getting to the best possible
0: yeah it's maybe it's just a time frame thing Mm. like i probably had enough ability to write a book five years ago or four years ago i could have said i'm gonna write it but it would have been like a future of work book it would have been weird it would have been attacking the organizational world (laughs) and it probably wouldn't have done that well Mm. Um, but I could have pushed really hard and like really pushed in that first year to level up my writing game in a way that took a few more years to do instead of I committed to like I'll just like write newsletters and see what comes out over a number of years and like slowly trust that and something else differently completely emerged in a way that like I was able to reach a bar of like creating something better that would have been impossible if I had aimed at it in a very like push way
1: because i have some people in my audience who are actual consultants or they come they have one foot in um the business world the consulting world who are um trying to carve out a more independent path so i'm curious you know do do you think there's a particularly high leverage kind of insight or or lesson for them maybe when it comes to like um what types of products or what types of work are the easiest you said before like freelance consulting is kind of the easiest way to just build a bridge to independence Um, but is there anything more specific for that type of person like um, a certain way to package it or a certain you know what types of products are you offering really how do you think about that
0: i think for freelancers and even like past academics yeah just write a ton about what you're actually curious about and go deeper than you feel like you should you feel Like, like writing is like the highest leverage thing you can do for all of this stuff basically there's so there's such a surface level um there's tons of just surface level stuff that's not very good yeah like most like people coming from academia or like writing and consulting they probably have very deep and interesting knowledge and practical experience and like that knowledge literally doesn't exist right like it's so early in terms of just people sharing ideas like that. Mm. There's infinite space for like all these weird perspectives on things. Right. And like, I, it's like dominated by like American people too. It's <laughs> like, I want all around the world, like write your experience, share your perspective. Like it's probably worthwhile. And then do like 50 to a hundred of those posts.
1: And what's the best thing to sell for that type of person? Is it like a, is it a, fr- a free call, an intro call, or is it like a paid call? Is it some kind of like, uh, fly me to your business and I'll do a workshop. What, what do you think?
0: Yeah. And I think that was something that emerged out of my writing is people would reach out and then I'd be like, oh, somebody actually doesn't know these things or doesn't think about these things in the way I did. So you mm-hmm. can sell consulting on that. Right. I think the next step for a consultant is to sort of package that. And this is where I think my consulting experience has helped me. So I'll design something for a company, but then I like create a process around that. And then I c- turn the process into like a package step one step two step three here's what you get here's the menu of options here's what it looks like a lot of people are not good at doing that but that's what people want I see people think in consulting you have to have these like vague like oh I do marketing strategy Right, but they actually want playbooks. They want like specific things. They want, here's exactly what I do. Here's how long it will take and here's what it will cost. Okay, so so that's the
1: next step. But uh, in the earliest instance, is it like you're just waiting for people to reply to your newsletter and like, and you're just doing custom, like based on what they say they want or need? It's all custom and flexible. Or is there like an introductory kind of product or thing that you should be thinking about developing? Because a lot of people in my audience are going to be like, just on the cusp of either like trying to go independent or and they're trying to think through like concretely what is the first thing i should launch or build or offer people to just get my feet wet and get some momentum in terms of like building independent revenue
0: what i'd pay attention to is what you actually just keep doing so my strategy consulting course i created that and put it on the internet in 2018. that idea had been flowing around my head for about 10 years Mm. Um, I had this idea of after I worked at McKinsey, oh, these skills are really interesting They'd be super valuable to teach people. Why is nobody teaching these? Me and my buddy would like joke around about like creating an academy around this. Mm-hmm. And then in 2014, I started advising this undergrad group at my school and teaching these skills to them and like was really struggling and they didn't understand what I was talking about. And I became obsessed with trying to figure out how to teach them. And then I would tell my friends about these things. And they'd be like oh wow that's fascinating will you show me this and i like created workshops for them for free mm. i enjoyed this mm. i was like volunteering at my companies to teach these things and then i landed like a freelance project doing this and after that i had sort of been exposed to this creator world it was like oh, i'll put this up but when i created the course like i had no idea if it was going to succeed so working backwards it I seems see. obvious that i should be doing these things right but it wasn't super obvious to me in the moment i sort of just kept trying stuff that i kept doing so, so i you, think I see. help find people help people with what you're good at gotcha so it's you're yeah simple stupid advice your your advice
1: is basically you have to look at what you actually are doing that you can do that you will do that you know you can do that you know you will do because you're doing it so it's almost like looking at the immediate past will tell you what you're capable of doing and you're just going to basically try to iteratively package that and frame that. But it's it's kind of an implication of what you're saying is that like, if you're not currently doing something to help someone somehow, then you probably don't have anything yet to really like package or monetize. And you should first focus on what do you authentically in this moment want to and can help someone with and just get going doing that.
0: Yeah. If you want to, Create a sustainable like. This is the work I want to do over right. a long term. Right. Step one is figuring out. Okay, do I actually want to be in a path like this? And then, if so, what am I willing to compromise? I think these things takes take years to emerge, not months. Mm. People aim like these paths are becoming legible now. Where people, mm. I'm talking to people and they're saying, "I want to make 300 grand, <laughs> right? In my first year of self employment, I'm like, I have no idea how how to help you, <laughs> yeah. um, but if you're interested in aiming at there in three and four years i think i could help you think about strategizing a path right so okay so what are are there
1: I, I you've shared a lot of interesting suggestions and ways to think about things are there are there questions i'm not asking that i should be asking are there other you know uh key insights or heuristics that you would give to people like this who, who come to you and ask you these types of questions
0: sort of ties back to what we were talking about with mediocrity but our default work world is sort of built around this idea that work is suffering. Yeah, it's Protestant work ethic. Yeah, and Catholic Catholic ideas too. Mm-hmm. Thou who does not work shall not eat. Right. Right, and idle um, hands are the devil's workshop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's like you should feel shame for being yeah. idle. Um, and so these ideas are deeply with us, right? And it sort of was fine. When you're in an industrial work world in which like people are becoming wealthier through normal jobs and there weren't other options, Mm -hmm. right? But now people are doing that with the other options existing and still buying into these ideas. Like people have weird reactions to me if I'm not working in the middle of a work day. (laughs) Like they can only pair the idea that I sort of have to trade off my time or be in an office somewhere. And that's how work happens. Right, so we're it's sort of this cargo cult experience of like what work is supposed to look like and feel like that it got exploded in twenty twenty with the pandemic.
1: Right, but a lot of people um, still try to ape it because they feel like it's normative.
0: Right, but the journey of finding the work you're actually going to be able to do is totally different than just like sitting down and being like, okay, I need to develop a plan, I need to launch a book, I need to make a hundred grand. Yeah. Um, so it takes some of that unlearning. Right. And the best way to build a hundred thousand dollar project might be taking a week off and wandering for a week. That That's sort of the right. thing I'm trying to convey to people.
1: Right. Because I think a, a lot of what you're talking about has to do with finding deeply sustainable things, things that you can do for a very long time, because that's really how you compound anything. Right. Like it, it, you're not going to be able to compound anything into anything truly like world historical and exceptional, unless you can do it for. You have to be able to do it for at least ten years or more, right? And so, you know, what can you do for ten years or more? Really, only the stuff that you love doing, right? Yeah. So, um, if that means taking weeks off every seven weeks to refine and remember and reconnect with, you know, what it is you actually love doing, then it's not really a selfish indulgence. It's actually like a practical you are actually optimizing for the the, the finances and for the results um, by doing that, right?
0: Yeah, and a, a lot of people who've been self-employed or entrepreneurial for long periods of time have these things. They'll take like a month off in the summer or like a month off around the holidays. Um, we just don't talk about it because there's a lot of shame around these things. Right. Like everyone pretends that everyone else is just working and thinking about work all the time, yeah. except everyone's secretly thinking about not working all the time. Right. Right. <laughs> Maybe
1: we could talk also a little bit more specifically about the book and the process of writing the book and, yeah. you know, any lessons you learned along the way about, you know, were there certain things you did with the book process that turned out to be like a total waste of time you wish you didn't even bother and you won't even bother next time or were there certain parts of the book process that um, you were very clever about and it totally paid off and was worth it? Any, any, lesson, any lessons come out to you?
0: With my book I had a very clear um, idea of like what I wanted to say like I I had a feeling of what I wanted to say expressing that is hard, right? Yeah, and I think one of the most valuable things I did was finding a good editor That was not just an editor, but like a thought partner and oh, nice. was excited about my ideas. And how did you find them? Uh, so I hired another editor first and wasn't like the perfect mm-hmm. it, I hired somebody that just kind of like grinded through and like gave feedback on my chapters, right? um And I just felt like the book was off. Um, So I went back to my newsletter and somebody had actually emailed me like six months before and said, if you need an editor, I basically hired her and she was just fantastic. She was like a freelancer herself and like really bought into the ideas. So got excited about it. I wish I had just hired her a lot earlier. I think searching for an editor and being willing to spend a little more money than feels comfortable is probably a really valuable thing to do.
1: Okay. That's, that's great advice. And anything else were there things you did that were waste of time or like uh things you would do differently next time
0: i sort of have a different mindset than a lot of people like a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves with like a launch and sales targets Mm -hmm. i finished the editing and like i ended up shipping the book with probably some mistakes but the beauty of amazon is you can just go on and update it and (laughs) refresh it um I just launched, like, I didn't want to do any launch. Yeah. I just oh, okay, hit right. publish, so- announced it in my newsletter, and then went to see what happened. Interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're so right about, like, um most people, if you're going to do, like, an independently published book, you're going to think a lot
0: about how it's to... It's all these shoulds.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. You're right. You're, ca- <laughs> you're catching me. I mean, talking with you, honestly, is really relaxing. It really is, because, I mean, I'm, like, halfway between, I'm, I'm sort of halfway between, like, a you know, uh, New York city, like McKinsey grinder and you, I'm, I'm not nearly as relaxed as you. Like I, I do, I do think I do feel much more oppressed by, um, goals and metrics and results and stuff. And so like, even my short book that I did last year, which was really just a, a, a test case, it was like, uh, just wanted to get one rep in, see how it went see what the process was like, even that I couldn't, I couldn't do as casually as, as you just said. Um, and, and so but I, listening to you, I really appreciate and realize like it is so true that these aspirations and pressures to perform and optimize for metrics and stuff like that, it becomes such a weight on your shoulders that you will you just avoid doing the thing. You don't want to do the thing. Like I probably could have done a second book since the first one, and probably would have loved it, and maybe it would you know could have been quite successful, certainly more successful than the first one. And it, I would have been it would have been really meaningful work that that probably would have made a lot of sense for what I'm doing and, and been a good thing to do. Um, But I haven't in part because in my mind, it's like, I'm not going to do it until I'm ready to, I'm going to really do it right this time. I'm going to really crush it, you know, and that can be good, but it also can be a paralyzing attitude. So talking with you is like very relaxing.
0: (laughs) Well, that's me. I am a generally relaxing, calm person. The goals make me stressed as hell. Yeah, they do. Right. (laughs) So I'm sort of just optimizing around my own flaws. Right. Um, And I've found that Like the things I'm good at are like talking with people, having these curiosity conversations, writing consistently. That's the stuff that's going to sell my books. Right. Me coming up with a marketing plan and like (laughs) nailing it down like day by day and like trying to get there's all these hacks that feel just so terrible and would just ruin everything for me. It's like you need to optimize your pre-sale. I read about pre-sales like I accidentally launched my book. I didn't know <laughs> it automatically launched the printed books who can't pre-sell as a self-published author. So after I launched, I'm like, ah, shit, it's launched. Uh, I was going to do a pre-launch for like a couple weeks, but right. I was like, ah, screw it. And like, it is I don't really, know, it, it doesn't seem to matter that much. It's right. arbitrary. Like right. what people are optimizing for is like being number one on the rankings in the first week. Yeah. Which, like, people claim matters, (laughs) but it's not clear to me that it actually does. Okay, right. Like, I've sold more books as I've gone on, which has gone through, like, selling or talking about it on podcasts and um, just, I think, word of mouth and people telling each other and me sharing reviews and stuff. Whereas, like, people just want that number one gold star. (laughs) Right. That's interesting that you think maybe it's a
1: lot of hype and stress that's not even really for a real result. It's more like these honorifics. It's like, you know, to to say that you were number one on the first day or something like that. It might not even translate into more sales in the long run, but it just like feels like success. It's like a a visible marker of success or something.
0: I think it's a legacy from the publishing industry. There was one way to do a book forever. You had to get permission from a certain number of companies in New York. Right. And they did things a certain way. (laughs) Right. And the whole goal is to get on a New York Times bestseller list, right? Right. Um, But with like Amazon, the infinite reach of the internet, like anyone can search your book at any time. Right. Right.
1: And how did you write the book? Uh, did you just sit down and you know bang out a table of contents and then just diligently you know wrote the whole thing in a few months, or did you piece together like past notes and half-written blog posts and uh you know what? Tell me about the composition process because you've this is your first book, right? You've never yeah. written a book before this, right? So, you know, a lot of people who want to write their first
0: book feel pretty stumped on just the you know the process of uh, composing and writing. How did you do it? I think my experience of consulting helped me with this base level confidence of like, oh, I can figure out a complex project. Right. Okay. Um, And then I had been writing for a few years and I've written a big long post about this. I can give you the link to put in the the show notes. But basically I started with, I'm just going to turn this into a book of essays. I dumped everything into Microsoft Word, tried to organize it, get the themes. And I started writing and I realized, oh, there's something deeper here. There's Mm. like a bigger message I want to explore and I want to raise my ambitions to like write more because I like writing so I sort of shifted to I'm gonna write a book and <laughs> I started out I'm gonna launch this in March I started writing in December and then I launch. all right I'll launch it in June I'll launch it in September I'll launch it in December and I finally launched in January so I totally didn't understand why it took so long but I think it takes so long because You're shifting back and forth between this like top-down mode of structuring, Mm -hmm. getting your outline, getting all the themes together, and then going back in and like doing the details and tying everything together. But you might fix like one chapter and then it throws off the structure and then you're pulling back the ideas back and Mm -hmm. forth. So I'm very good at like that back and forth. There's probably four major swings of like, okay, I need to take a week off and structure this, do an outline again. And then um, go back into the weeds and kind of like write my way through, and then come up for air and say, "Okay, what do I have?" So, listening to you, it it's becoming clear to me that
1: something interesting about how you think and how you work is that you tell yourself, "Oh, this is just going to be a quick, easy, mediocre, <laughs> mediocre thing." But then, when it comes down to it, you're not actually you're you're applying yourself quite diligently. With a lot of effort and and attention over long periods of time, so I feel like this is part of the trick. This goes back to what we were talking about before yeah. about like how to kind of embrace imperfections and you know quote unquote mediocrity as a way of staying relaxed and keeping things fun and keeping things moving. But when you drill down, you're not you're not really like capitulating to mediocrity. You're you're actually putting your heart and soul into it, and you're trying to make something amazing. Yeah, but it's almost like you're using a comfort with mediocrity. As a psychological, like, lo- loosening tactic or something like that, right? Yeah. Because when you say, like, it's December, all right, I'm going to publish this book by March, you're basically acting as if, like, it's no big deal, it's going to be quick and easy, I don't care that much, it's going
0: to be mediocre, right? I really thought I could th- do it. Yeah, and it was sincere. I think this yeah. was, like, a level of complexity beyond any project I had ever done before. Wow. So I was wow. sort of... I didn't know I like. I didn't know what I was doing. Like I've done, like okay, I'm gonna build a course, and this will take me five weeks, right? And it's taken like six weeks, right? <laughs> but, but this was this was different. But I think it's it's revealing. I think you're right, though, and it's, yeah. it's,
1: it's, it, This might be a useful thing for people to think about. Um, I mean, I'm also a big fan of just like committing to unrealistic deadlines as a way to just yeah. do more. I mean, I think like even Elon Musk does this kind of like a, a lot of people. It's just you just a You kind of know in the back of your mind you're never going to hit that deadline, but you set it unrealistically short just to get moving and, and force yourself to go at least as fast as you can. Um, okay, so fascinating. And, uh, and so you hired an editor who was really good for you. And you also ed- hired a designer, I think, for the cover you told me. Um, were there other things that you outsourced or um, other tools or, you know, tactics of any kind that, you know,
0: like helped
1: you do it better or
0: no? I used Microsoft Word and then micro- or Google Docs. Uh, Google Docs gets a bit flooded if you add tons of comments. Um, at the end... I asked people for feedback and I asked people just give a plus one anywhere like you really enjoyed reading. Okay. And then I had the editor basically just like don't cut any of those sections. That was basically all the feedback I had. Um, And then you, but you did cut a
1: lot. You had the editor cut a lot. You just had the editor kind of go through with like a red pen and say this has to go or.
0: Yeah, she was, she very like build on like what I had. yeah. It was like, I think you're trying to say this lean in more, Mm. more here. Um, and then just like some generic editing, right? Right. You you could say this more clearly, things like that. Um, but you really worked with my voice. There's, it's so hard. Like edit editors, you can get an editor that's like, here's the exact way you're supposed to write English. And it's like, okay, I don't actually want to write perfect English. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but then, yeah, you just I just export the file and upload it to Readsy. Yeah, <laughs> it was like almost more straightforward than I expected at the end. Right. You upload it to Readsy, and then you format it. You put it in chapters. You pick your font, um, your spacing, um, and you export the file. And then you just upload that and then the cover files uh, to Amazon. Uh, there's some other publishing platforms like I've uploaded it to Google Books um Apple I have an Indian self-publishing arm because I have a lot of readers in India ah, nice. um just so the book would be cheaper over there because um, they don't have a local amazon printer um and yeah Ingram spark is to like go to all the other random bookstores okay. um and th- that was pretty much it so you can find it in like brick and mortar stores if the stores ordered it yeah yeah um, I requested it at the Austin library, Yeah. so nice. I, th- I think they're getting hardcovers. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I haven't really leaned into that. Apa- apparently you can like pitch distributors to like stock your book. Right. But that's a shit ton of legwork. I Boston looked into today. it and just, <laughs> well, that's the thing. It seemed like, oh, that's going to be so annoying. Right. <laughs> and do you think much
1: about like growing your audience? Is that even on your mind? Like you, you do you pay attention to newsletter subscriber counts or are these, are are there any like metrics that you do care about or or no?
0: I think I'm optimizing around like I don't want the path to disappear. I don't want to have to go back to work. So I'm I'm not maximizing things, but I'm not stupid either. Like <laughs> I worked in consulting and went to business school. I know right like of how course, things work. Right. Generally if you write consistently, your audience grows. Yeah. Um I pay attention if that's like slowing or dropping. Yeah. Like I'd be like, okay, like what's happening there um like my course has really struggled in the past five six months probably because spending for online stuff has dried up the pandemic is ending people are going back to work Mm. um finances are just getting tighter but i'm like okay what is this i I don't really know yet but i'm paying attention to that right um so i sort of i don't want to go out of business but i'm not trying to be the greatest creator of all time (laughs) Yeah. So you see the metrics as kind of these,
1: you know, signals that you will pay attention to and 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 respect if they're if they show signs of, of severe danger. Like if if any of your metrics are are starting to yeah. suggest like, oh, this could possibly if I don't tend to this, this could possibly mean I'm out of business and I got to go. I got to go back to, to my old job. You'll yeah. pay attention to the metrics to, to stave off you know, those kinds of things and make sure this, the ship yeah. is afloat, but you're not really looking at any metrics and thinking like, I'm trying to crush this number. I'm trying to make this number go up as fast as possible. Like you'd, you're you not, you don't think about any metric in that way, really.
0: When I quit my job, I had about a year's worth of living expenses to support my cost of living. It's probably a little, it's probably about the same now, my savings, like mm-hmm. cash. Okay. So I'm like pretty high cash as like, this <laughs> is my, I can pay myself if I don't have any money coming in. Right. Um, it's grown a little but not like tons mm-hmm. um, and I sort of have that as like the okay that's I always have this year to on myself fully without making income that will be fine so your your key metric really is just your reserves yeah so <laughs> my goal is like I, I want to break even like I want to pay for my cost of living right. each year of course right um, and you want to yeah. keep that reserve more or less constant
1: as yeah long, as long as it's not de- as long as the reserve is not decreasing then you're good. You feel good.
0: Yeah. And even better if I can like save a little for retirement right. and things like right. that, which I have been able to do in the past couple of years, not tons, but it's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, right. I'm actually making this work. And I mean, I see so many people that do what we're doing for like a year or two right. and then they go back to employment. Like, I'm not that. Totally. I think I really like this path and I'm <laughs> yeah. pro- like, I would bet that I'll probably be doing something it like this in 10 years yeah in which 90 percent of people will like give up give give up or go back to work or are not going to be like publishing issue 1275 of their right newsletter whatever platforms we're on in the metaverse or something yeah yeah
1: it's fascinating because i never really think in these terms but when i'm honest when if i actually reflect on how i do think about it i i think i do kind of think in a similar way um because i you know i don't make a ton of money but I also I do feel pretty confident You're not going
0: back to academia. I'm pretty confident
1: I'm never gonna need to get a real job. Like I on a deep just yeah, inner, yeah, yeah. like I have a deep inner conviction that's not just like fantasy. I, I feel pretty strongly confident based on the data, based on, you know, basic growth assumptions and and basic you know, I think pretty conservative assumptions. Like I'm not, you know, making a ton of money by any means. Um but I, I still feel like I'm pretty like very confident i would say that i'm going to keep getting everything's going to keep growing everything's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and and other opportunities will also emerge and and evolve or whatever so i think it's kind of because i do think in a similar way like i maybe am optimizing i have been optimizing for that also since leaving my career like you know everything's about making this
0: game last as long as possible which is i think what you're saying i had this idea that i should optimize for making money and then maximum number of ways as possible early on yeah so i'd purposely like try something and then not level it up but like keep trying different stuff so i got paid to like write a report for a corporation i've made some money from like youtube ad revenue i've mm-hmm. made money from like medium affiliates which was like higher at some point it's like basically yeah. zero now yeah. i've um, made money from Substack like sponsorships and patreon and consulting and coaching and group coaching and wow group you really courses. have like tried it all and I, that's how I got to the same thing you're saying. It's like I sort of proved to myself, okay, you can, ma- you're gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like right, because you try so many things, and you're like, I could make it on
1: any one of these if I really went all in on it, right? And yeah. So it's I know like,
0: how to get started much easier now. Right. It'd take like a day to like launch a coaching business again. Right. Um, I don't want to do coaching, but I could. You know that, you and could. I would do right, it right. above. Going to work full time in consulting or something.
1: Right, I know exactly what you mean, and I feel like I did that. I did that also. I mean, I'm only three years out from quitting academia. You're a few more from from quitting consulting, but I think I in the in the first few years I kind of did the same. Like I tried many different things, and in a way, I'm still kind of recovering from it because what what I'm sure you find, I'm guessing you found this also is like you you try too many things to try to experiment and get a lay of the land but then you kind of have like these like half-assed kind of yeah. involvements and commitments and i find that to be incredibly oppressive. So now the the uh, the kind of phase i'm in now is basically trying to consolidate and merge things or delete things and and you know ex- go tell people like hey this is over, you know, i'm not don't expect anything more here and like whatever. Um we're merging this into that and consolidating or whatever um and that's like a long process like you that's don't so hard <laughs> it is hard and i'm very proud and happy to say i'm I'm doing i'm actually really doing it it was with the baby the baby is what like really motivated that um so i'm very pleased i am doing it but it is hard and it's also like a mul- it's a long it's a process it's not like one day you can just like close everything up and rationalize everything up it's like months of messaging and aligning things and rebranding things and moving things. It's like, so there's a real cost to like that experimentation with a bunch of different things. So there's a, you're going to pay the price, to, yeah. to, to but, but it is important for people to know that you can do anything. You can change anything like, you know, you can always change everything. So it's like, it is, I think it is kind of a natural cycle. It's like a part of the process to try a bunch of things, you know, and then unfortunately the result of that is you're going to have this like, portfolio that's a little too overwhelming and yeah it's going to take some time and stress and difficulty to to wrap it up and consolidate it uh but it's just part of the process and you and you learn as you go and now i'm super pumped on because i feel like i've really narrowed it down to like you know three or four moving parts and they're rationalized and they feed each other and um but that's kind of like the next the next level i feel like
0: it's such a hard thing of there is this complexity creep of the internet just keeps like growing. Right. Right. <laughs> like the information expands. You start one website, but like you never shut it down. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's so hard to shut these things down, especially if they're like generating like a couple thousand dollars or something. Dude, It's, it's like, really
1: hard, but also it feels amazing when you can do it. I, oh, I'll yeah. give you an example not to talk about myself, uh, but because yeah. it's interesting to people. It might be interesting to people. Like, um, so one of the things I did was when I left academia was, Um, I built like a little kind of uh, educational community, if you want to call it that, because I was a professor and I was thinking always in the terms of like, how can I just port over what I was already doing and the value I was already creating, but in an internet equivalent way. So I considered different business models and did a lot of research and um I decided to take a stab at uh, a membership model, so like recurring revenue, just because that seems really attractive, right? It's like um, having that kind of predictable element where subscriptions renew. Um, and I won't go into the details, but like it, it was pretty successful. People – it it did pretty well for people. It like helped a lot of people. I, I liked certain aspects of it and it did pretty well in terms of revenue like i it was it was like a premium membership is this other life so this is indie thinkers i i, oh, I, this is I the early at the one. time i had this idea that i would like other life is my personal brand and then i would do this like side brand that's like just the business operation yeah. that's how i thought about it in retrospect i that was a mistake i think i i i think I, it was a lesson learned that it would not, it would have been better to keep things simpler and keep like the number of properties and the brands like a smaller in number. So it was a learning experience and it, it was good in many ways. So it, it was cool. Um, and it was, a, so Indie thinkers was, a, I launched it as a premium membership community. And so it was like 450 bucks a year, like not cheap. Um, and like a fair number of people, you know, each month would subscribe. And, um, so I got that up to about $40,000 a year. Um, and, like, it was, you know, a very it was a viable, profitable business operation. We did all different kinds of things. We did, like, workshops, private, you know, um, meetings of all kinds, work sessions. So there was, like, a bunch of stuff involved. And it was a lot of work. But I was proud of it. it did a lot for, for a certain type of person. Um, and it was worth the money for for many of the people who joined. But it also was not worth the money for some other people who joined. And I knew that. I knew, yeah. like, for, for some people, it really was worth it. I was proud of it. But I knew also there were people paying four hundred and fifty dollars a year, and they weren't getting value out of it. Maybe, maybe because of their own fault, maybe because of my fault. It doesn't matter. The point is
0: that just ate at you. It, and you ate, at real, like, it ate at me. Real. Yeah. ate at me really
1: badly. Um. And and so basically, it just became clear to me at a certain point that the membership model was just not the ideal business model. It just didn't make the most sense for delivering the value I was trying to deliver. Um. And so. I basically had to confront that like it was just weighing on me and I had to confront, but dude, when you're sitting on $40,000 a year of recurring revenue, I don't like, know if
0: I could do that. Dude, it's so hard. dude,
1: it was really hard. It was like, it's hard to, if you've never been here, it's like hard to explain. And it probably sounds corny. I'm like, it's a talk about a first world problem. Right. But it probably sounds corny, but, but these are the types of things as independent creators, you will find yourself in these situation, you know, sooner or later where like you build something and it's cool and it works and it's successful, but, just time shows that it's not, it's not ideal. It's not optimal and it needs to be changed. And you do need to like take a step back, take a deep breath and like just figure out what is right and do what is right. And so basically I like, um, I just, I turned off this $40,000 like, so basically for 2022, I could have, I could have made $40,000 over the next 12 months. And do did nothing basically. I could have just ghosted, right? I could have just been lazy, or I could have just kept going this like yeah. imperfect, like not great thing. I mean, it probably I, just would have drifted lower and lower. And right. Lower it would have. It would have slowly decreased. Yeah. But the thing with subscriptions is like people forget about them, and it's like you know that's powerful from a business perspective, but like not cool from a human perspective, right? So like the point is, I could have done almost nothing. I could have just kind of like given up on it, set it on the side burner, and like made forty thousand dollars from it. Um, but I chose not to because it's fucked up to do that, right? Like you don't want to do things unless you're really trying them. But what it meant was I had to like one fine day, and like a, a couple months ago, I literally had to kill. I had to kill forty thousand dollars that wow. would that would have come to me. Um, but the point, the reason I tell this whole story um, is that it felt amazing when I did it. It really, did, it was it was really hard to do. I was like, I kept postponing it and kept like, but it felt amazing. And then I when I sent that email to everyone saying like, hey. Um, you currently have a $450 a year subscription on file. I just want to let you know I went out of my way to, you know, you didn't even ask me to, but I, I, I canceled it for everyone. You will no longer, that your card will no longer charge on that account. Um, you're off the hook. And and then I also kind of like gave them a bunch of other stuff like as a courtesy and just to be cool and to yeah. close it off on good terms or whatever. Um and told them about like what I'm doing next and, and and how they can get involved if they want to or whatever. And it felt amazing, but it was super, super hard. It was really, really hard. and it and it kind of occurred to me that that's that's like the next level like the, that's like a, a next level filter where like it, I realized like so many people would have just gotten a, no, a normal job there because like yeah, a, par, a big part of me was like, oh man, just, I fucked up. Like this isn't, this isn't good anymore. This isn't ideal. Like I don't want to do a big pivot. It's going to take so much messaging and like getting everyone up to speed and like, maybe I should just get a real job, you know? Um, and I think a lot of people would have just, you know, wrapped it up and, and done that. Um, but anyway, I was just very proud of it. Cause I did, I did the right thing and I took care of people and, um, and I felt like, Oh, this is proof I'm going to last for 10 or 20 years because I am able to do this. I'm able to make, I'm able to see what needs to be done. I'm able to like do the right thing, do good by my people and pivot and grow when it's necessary.
0: I think it's powerful because I sort of went slow because I was scared of that. I was scared of sort of creating a job for myself. So I went even slower and stupider. Right. I call it like the long, slow, dumb, and fun path. (laughs) Okay, nice. (laughs) But, um, I think what you're doing there in saying no to a certain obvious financial opportunity, and maybe I was doing this without the forty grand actually being there, you're saying yes to something else. Totally.
1: A different way, a better way of doing it. Right.
0: Yeah. And to somebody that's in a full-time job, they probably can't understand how could you be excited about that. Right. But I, I totally understand that because you're like, oh, yeah, I get my time back. Like, I, I have my attention back. I don't have this energy suck. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So it's like the...
1: The, the game of the independent creator economy is very much like navigating on the one hand, like building systems that are viable and disciplined and, and grow, but also doing what's right and what feels right and what feels good and not letting things become burdensome and oppressive. And you basically have to be like constantly keeping these temperatures. Like you need to be looking at the metrics and make sure you're going to be able to pay the bills and you have something viable that's going to be increasingly rewarding. But you also have to like, You know, if if things have accumulated to to it in a direction and in a certain way where it just feels overly weighty, you have to, like, take action. Um, You can't let that – you have, like, financial incentives to let it keep lingering and stuff, but, like – you'll destroy yourself that way and you'll destroy your brand as well because like you know n- who wants you know you start getting a bad reputation and stuff like that like you have to go you have to cut to the quick of it and always be acting and acting swiftly and um just always trying to basically pivot things to whatever you'd honestly believe is the superior way that provides the most value for other people and is most fun for you but it man it takes it takes like some hard decisions sometimes and like real activation energy like you really have to like you know Go like lift heavy weights and like suck it up and be like all right i'm fucking doing it today like even though you know it's like it's it's, Man, it's a wild psychological right about this yeah yeah it's like a it's such a wild psychological terrain um like navigating it all and um, this is
0: the game of self-employment and i think this is the maybe the meta theme of what i'm talking about is mm-hmm. it's in it's an inner game it's a mental game it's a psychological game right. um there's a trap of self-employment of getting sort of memed by these engineering minds who are like the game is making money and ARR and maximizing revenue. Totally. Most people are not wired like that. Mm. I've talked to most people. <laughs> um, most people have very confusing desires and interests and drives and are not solely just able to like live life as a spreadsheet tells them. Um, in full-time work, you can sort of just do stuff you don't like. Because you're getting paid for it and you're risking disappointing others and fear of being shamed and like just not having approval. Right. That can keep you going doing stuff you don't like. For most people on self-employment, you can't do that. Right. And that's why you often see a lot of pivots. A lot of people like pick and choose people that are doing like really successful stuff on Creator Paths now. Go back five years, they were doing something completely different. Mm, Yeah, They had some sort of like rebrand or pivot.
1: Right. That's true. Yeah. You have to be able to do that and do it swiftly and really just follow like what is, I think, the, yeah. one of the most important things you said in this conversation was basically just optimizing for whatever is going to let you do it the longest.
0: Yeah. my ch- I have a chart of like my income. The first year it's like this. And then I went to like basically zero and then like slowly climbed over four years. Mm-hmm. But I was also tracking like number of income streams. So mm-hmm. we went from one to like 12 really 12 over like a hundred dollars a month wow okay um and any one month like some of those will fall out and is that what it currently is still or i think it's about 12 or 13 random random things yeah wow is that in the book it's not specific yeah i talk about like that strategy okay because uh, I would love to, um, did you publish that anywhere. I would love to see like. Is I that have published? it on Twitter and in an article. Yeah, I oh, can nice. share a link.
1: Nice, nice. I would like to look at your actual portfolio of 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 income streams. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, we've been talking a lot. We've covered a lot of ground. I don't want to keep you too long, but that was awesome. And thanks for, you know, sharing your wisdom. And it was a real pleasure getting to learn, you know, under the hood of of your operation and how it all pieces together and how how you've built what you've built. Awesome. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. So the book Pathless Path, people can get it on Amazon or wherever they get books that sound like maybe, anywhere, maybe not your, uh, local Barnes and Noble, uh, because, uh, you know, do Barnes and Nobles even I think exist they anymore? Can re- yeah.
0: <laughs> I think they can request it in their, nice. they'll order. It. I nice. don't know. Let me know.
1: Nice. Um, well, yeah, no, like I said, I think you've done a great job of navigating this space and you know, of all the people out there who are doing this, you're kind of on the far end of people who really optimize for your own peace of mind. And, um, it's impressive that you've been able to be as successful as you have been. And do the numbers that you're doing and making 100 grand a year with like such an amazingly relaxed and kind of detached and happy, uh, like state of mind. That's it's a real accomplishment, and I admire that. And it's been a pleasure to, you know, um, enter your mind for a little bit because, like I said, it I kind of err on the other side, I err on the side of being a little too structured, a little too like you know, grinding and um, you know, metric oriented. So, um, I'm very grateful to have had you here because you're you're basically giving me exactly the kind of antidote that I happen to need right now. So I appreciate that. Nice. <laughs> yeah, people can go uh, check out the book and go connect with Paul on the internet. I'll just put a link in the show notes so people can easily find, find uh, you know, Paul through those links. So um, yeah, that's all done. That's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You made it all the way to the very end. So you must really like the show. In that case, I would be super grateful if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co slash review. That's otherlife.co forward slash review. And it'll send you an Apple podcast. Just leave a review. You can be honest. Tell me what you really think. I'd really appreciate it because it'll help other people find the show. And I'm really trying to grow out the podcast. So thanks for listening. And thank you for leaving a review. I really appreciate it.